Hey, what's up? Matt here. Thanks for tuning in to Dogpile, presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online at mslandbank.com. Look, if you're in North Mississippi, you have any kind of land need, whether it's buying, selling, you need land, farmland, hunting land, recreational, building a dream home, anything land related, trust me on this, at Mississippi Land Bank, they have the kind of people that you want to do business with. Dogpile is also presented by Jubilation's Cheesecake in West Point, right on Highway 45. When you're traveling through, stop in and see George and Luann and the folks there at Jubilation's. You can watch them make those cheesecakes and enjoy the coffee shop as well. Lunch, breakfast, all the sweets, including, obviously, cheesecake. Every season is Jubilation season. And we can't say thanks enough to High Point Roasters Coffee in New Albany for jumping in and pitching in and helping to send Brett to Omaha. High Point Roasters in New Albany. Look, uh, that's where I get all my coffee. Uh, you can ask my family. They hear that coffee grinder running every morning at about 4.30. I'm making fresh for the uh, for the press. Dan the Coffee Man, Dan Skinner, great folks, great Bulldogs there at High Point Roasters in New Albany. Trust me on this. If you're a coffee drinker, go to highpointroasters.com, highpointroasters.com, and order your coffee now. It's fresh. It's got the best flavor. It's a much higher quality than you're getting on grocery store shelves. You will not regret getting your coffee from High Point Roasters, Dan the Coffee Man, who always says, stay caffeinated, my friends. What's up, everyone, and welcome to our final edition of of Dogpile on the 2019 season. We'll get into what we're going to go to go through on the uh, on the off season and and everything else at the uh, at the end of the episode. But Matt Wyatt and I, Brett Hudson, I think I said that earlier. Maybe I didn't. Matt Wyatt <laughs> and I, Brett Hudson, are here to uh, to recap the 2019 season. That was it was a uh, it was a heck of a ride out, out of these Bulldogs. They uh they end the season fifty two and fifteen, number five in the country in both D one baseball and Baseball Americas rankings. Obviously, they make the trip to Omaha. They're a top eight national seed. Uh, a heck of a run that that these Bulldogs yeah. uh made a record setting run in in many respects. Those of you that listened to the uh the last episode of Dogpile know all about that and, and and Matt and I are gonna dive into what the season was and get into a little bit of the uh 2020 season with who we expect to come back and how we expect their roles to to take shape in uh in 2020 but but Matt as you look back on the 67 games that that were too short of greatness what what do you think this team's legacy will be oh man legacy um I think it's probably going to be <clears throat> it's going to be the Jake Mangum's last year team um in, a, in you know for a long time. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I mean, I think if you if you just like fast forward 5 years, 10 years and if in a group of Mississippi State fans are sitting around talking baseball, if this season comes up, it'll be called yeah, that was Jake Mangum's last year. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I think forever it's going to be called that was Jake's last season. Um, and, and and I think, you know, Brett, don't you think that – don't you think that that is um, – I mean, it's – they had the expectation of winning a national championship. The team did. But, mm-hmm. but coming up short of that, to me, frankly, it just doesn't – it doesn't ding the le- legacy or – taint the legacy of this team at all no it, it doesn't to me either i mean i think uh i think the the good thing about baseball fandom for the most part is that people have kind of come to expect omaha mm-hmm. as yeah. as the result uh they don't expect national championship as the result because they realize how weird and for for lack of a better word fluky things can get uh, once you get to Omaha. So even getting to Omaha is such a, a Herculean task that, that getting there is is the ultimate goal. And, and once you get there, 
how it shakes out is is how it shakes out. You'd love to be the one dogpiling on the final day of the college baseball season like Vanderbilt did mm-hmm. Wednesday night. Uh, but but on the whole, this team did about all you can ask of of a really good college baseball team, which is get to Omaha and have a chance mm-hmm. once they got there. They yeah. won their first game. They they really battled in, in what was ultimately their, their final game. They didn't get to Omaha and prove they didn't belong. They well, – they got to Omaha and they showed that they belonged. No doubt. And you know what else, Brett? Who was it that said it? Um, was it your interview with Gotro? It might have been somebody else. Well, I was thinking maybe it was Gotro, but you know, they'll say I heard somebody say that, you know, to win in baseball and to win it all in baseball, you do, no matter how good you are, you gotta have a little luck in there also. Mm-hmm. And look, looking back on it, if you're Mississippi State. You'd have rather faced Vanderbilt in the first game of the College World Series, as opposed to having this rocker. Yeah, as opposed to having to face him in the second, because uh, Kumar Rocker became the best pitcher in the country the last month of what was the last month of the season, including the the postseason. He was the best pitcher mm-hmm. in the country, and because of where you wound up in that bracket, it just so happened you had to jump in there and face him in your in that second game. So. You know, there's a little luck involved, but for me, there's just so many superlatives. Uh, statistically, yeah, Jake sets the record. Uh, first guy ever at state with uh, multiple 100 hit seasons, most hits in a season ever by a state player. It's Jake this year, and that's with a cold stretch towards the end of the year. It's amazing. Um, yeah, the, you know the wins for Lamonas. He's the winningest first-year head coach in SEC history. You know, all those kinds of things. But I just – I guess what it is, Brett, is the older I get, the more I'm able to just kind of soak in and appreciate the journey of things as opposed to this defined, pre-chiseled-out-in-stone result that's got to be achieved, frankly. And especially in baseball, when it's weird as it is, um, the fact they didn't win the national championship to me, I mean, throughout the year, you talk about the journey that that team had and the wins and, you know, the the hype, the big crowds, the new stadium, the set, the record, all those different things. It's just, it was a heck of a journey for sure. It was. I mean, we, we got to see a lot. Yeah, we saw, we saw Jake Mangum etch his name into – record books uh honestly forever because yeah. now that yeah. now that the game has a 56 game regular season limit uh guys having 380 career hits uh, those those days are are borderline gone mm. i mean uh, unless you basically have to be someone like jake who is good enough to not only get on campus at an elite institution that can make deep ncaa tournament runs every year but also be good enough to be on the field almost every single day of that career and stay all four years mm-hmm. like Jake did. I mean, the, the yeah. days of, of guys racking up 380 career hits in a career, the, the days of guys having two 100-hit seasons in a career, those days are, are almost extinct yep. uh, in, in the way that college baseball is currently configured, and, and I don't see those kind of environmentals changing anytime soon. So uh, I think Jake ended, what was it? Fourth in, in career hits at yeah. 381 or, or something. Fourth something, overall. Something mm-hmm. that ill. Um, uh, I don't know that that's going to be touched for, yeah. for a really, really long time just because it's so, cause Jake went to two super regionals and two Omaha trips yeah. in, in his time. It is so rare for freshmen. It's so rare for a team to do that. First of all, that's very rare. It's very rare for a freshman to be good enough to be a big fixture on all four of those teams. And for a player that good, it's rare that they stay for their senior season. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's just we saw Jake Mangum write his name into the history books potentially forever. But that just scratches the surface of, of what we saw. We saw this team break the school record for doubles. In a season, 166, five guys had 20 or more doubles this year. We saw Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan overcome pretty significant early season slumps to become a 349 hitter 
in in Allen's case with 23 doubles and, and Rowdy, he ended the season at 290, which is a, a minor miracle considering <laughs> his slump at the beginning of the year. And with that slump, he still had 15 doubles yeah. on the year, uh, still had no BP of 370. Um, that's just incredible. We saw Elijah McNamee, man, his story yeah. to hit the way he did coming off of his postseason and go down with that foot injury and come back and hit a little bit and then not get drafted and still come back and, and be a factor mm-hmm. at, in, at points for this postseason run. That's that's a story that I don't think we'll forget anytime soon. We saw the complete reinvention of Dustin Skelton. I mean, that guy, that guy was a liability in 2017. Yep. And now he's getting drafted and he's he's going to sign for those of you that don't know that by now. He's he's off to start his professional career one year early. Who could have possibly seen that coming <laughs> when they had to make Josh Lovelady catch 165 games mm-hmm. in that 2017 season? Because you just could not play Dustin Skelton. Yeah, uh, we saw that. We saw Marshall Gilbert change positions to rejuvenate his final season of college baseball. We saw Brad Cumbus come onto the scene. We saw Josh Hatcher perform in, in small sample size. We saw Landon Jordan come onto the scene for yeah, a little bit. We right. saw Luke Hancock come onto the scene for a little bit. We we saw JT Gann, the freshman of the year. We saw Ethan Small, the national pitcher of the year. We saw night-night Colby White and Cole Gordon have a heck of a senior season, despite the way that it it actually ended. We saw Jared Liebelt make one of the more statistically impressive comebacks in college baseball this year, if not the most impressive comeback in, in college baseball this year. This ride is, mm-hmm. and it's not easy to stand out in recent Mississippi State baseball history, given all the obvious, right? Hello, Andy. Hi there. It, it's pretty. It's pretty hard. To stand out in the sequence of events that has been from 2016 to 2019 in Mississippi State baseball history, and this team did it. That's yep. that's a testament to the story and the run that that they went on. And I, I find it hard to believe that in this four year era of unforgettable Mississippi State baseball, this one will just be lumped into that era. I think this team will have a special part of, of that story. Yeah, I think so too. You said it really well. Um, what was your experience like Brett being there in Omaha covering it, press box, all that? Like, what was it like? It's a lot of fun. Omaha, Omaha is good from a media perspective in that we get more access to the players and coaches than there than we do Hmm. at any other point during the regular season. So you get to really, you get to really, uh, I guess, become closer to the players and their stories, and you saw a lot of really good reporting yeah. out of out of Omaha from from us and from others to to give those everyone else on the beat their their full credit. Mm-hmm. And, and as a quick aside to that, uh, so we're all friends here at Dogpile, right? So yep. I'm, I'm going to let y'all behind the scenes a little bit. For for those of you that follow me on Twitter, which if you don't, you should at Brett underscore Hudson. I was in a wedding in Alabama. The, the weekend after Mississippi State got eliminated, um, I was on a plane. So they got they got walked off Thursday night. I was on a plane Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, you can correctly assume that I was going to be on that plane no matter what happened for, for Mississippi State. And daily dog piles had to continue, however, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like I was right. going to yep. stay in tune with the games and watch the games and analyze them. But I also wanted to give you more than just a guy on a plane watching a, a ball game and, and telling you what he thought about it. So I, I put these two interviews in, in my back pocket to use for those daily episodes if we needed them, one with Brad Cumbus and one with Tanner Allen. And those daily dog piles didn't happen, but that doesn't mean those interviews just don't get to see the light of day at all. So we'll save those at the end of the episode for uh, interviews with Brad Cumbus and, and Tanner Allen on evergreen subjects. The the games aren't really uh, a factor in, in those interviews. I talked to Brad Cumbus about being a dual sport athlete. He's tied end on the football team for those of you that are uh, baseball crazed and don't pay attention to football. And I talked to uh, Tanner Allen about his very uncanny resemblance to Chipper Jones, <laughs> uh, which is a pretty 
pretty cool thing for a Southern Alabama boy to have no uh, to look that much like like Chipper Jones. Uh, so we talked about that. We'll save both of those interviews for the end of of the podcast after we've kind of tied all the bows we need to tie for this this 2019 season. But the the experience was fun. This was this was a group that was very mature in how it, it went about its its actions. And I think the the best way to exemplify that was the way I talked to JT again after that Vanderbilt loss, like mm-hmm. that, that the locker room is crushed. They're devastated. Right. But JT again, a freshman is taking the ball in the next game. So I go right up to JT and, and I just start asking questions and I start conducting the interview and he handles it like a pro. He's a freshman. And, yeah. and frankly, other than after his starts, he hasn't really been exposed to the media yeah. all that much this year, especially on the, on the national scene. So mm, right. he, he isn't one that's experienced like this, but he's clearly taking cues from the, the veterans of the group from the Jake Mangums and the Jordan Westbergs and the Ethan Smalls and the Peyton Plumleys of, of the clubhouse, Elijah McNamee and Cole Gordon deserve credit there too. And, and just done that part of, of his job of being a, a Mississippi state baseball player. He was a consummate pro. He didn't, uh, dismiss me or any of my questions and i don't mean to make this a a media show but i do think this is one of the rare instances where how people or how programs treat media is indicative of the people and the process within that program it was a very mature bunch of players it was a very composed bunch of players and when you go 52 and 15 there aren't really many moments where you can lose your composure but that was definitely one of them their first loss in in Omaha and, and they didn't uh they didn't do that. So yeah. it it, it kind of that access to coaches and players that we get in Omaha that we don't get in any other point of of the season, regular season or postseason, kind of shined a light on on the character of of this team. And I, I found that interesting. And seeing them in practice, which again we normally don't see, uh that that kind of showed that that same deal they they like to have fun they they goof around the pitchers had a season-long running contest of who hits the best fungo i don't know that the <laughs> the results of that contest were ever fully uh decided if they were decided they were never disclosed publicly i'm gonna go way, i'm gonna still- guess it's probably barlow because i remember barlow having that at bat last year in the <laughs> uh, south alabama game and didn't he get a hit or did I he think get so seemed like he I, got I think- a hit or did he get walked it seemed to me the biggest competition in that regard was between Riley Self and Ethan Small. Okay. Now, now Riley makes sense because he was a good hitter coming up, and I yeah. think there's a small part of him that would like to try hitting. <laughs> he wants State. it at bat. I, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think there's a small part of him that thinks he could hit SEC pitching. Ethan Small, I don't, I don't understand that one, but yeah. those two competed, and I'm sure they weren't the only ones. I'm uh, sure. So they that's had fun. Right as they went about their business, but they still got their business done. And it was, it was cool to see that extra added window into how they went about their business. And just this 2019 group as a whole in their, what about week, eight days in Omaha. That was, that was cool to see. Yeah. Brett. um, And, and I just, now's a good time too, also to just say that, you know, we just appreciate our sponsors so much, uh, their Mm -hmm. support of, the podcasts that we're doing, and I say plural on purpose because, you know, Land Bank and uh, Mississippi Land Bank, I should clarify, Mississippi Land Bank and Jubilations Cheesecake also sponsor the Praise the Lord and Talk Dogs Women's Basketball Podcast. And so those guys um, supporting the Dog Pile Podcast and and then um, High Point Roasters Coffee in New Albany jumping in, you know, their listeners, Dan the Coffee Man, our friend Dan Skinner, and he sent us some stuff and you know, just can't say thanks enough to everybody, to, you know, all the folks at Mississippi Land Bank, branch offices across North Mississippi. I've gotten to know all those folks over the years. And, uh, they've been so supportive. And, and and in turn, it's easy for me to, you know, tell people about them. Same thing, George and Luann, the folks we met, Brett, you know, they're at Jubilations, got to know them, and that relationship continues and just proud of their products. Happy to tell you about it, but they're good folks as well. And same thing with the High Point Roasters and Dan. So um, everybody supporting the podcast made it possible for you, Brett, to be able to go to Omaha and be there with the team and have those 
those the or have the ability to be there to cover the team and then deliver it back to everybody listening on the podcast and reading and and following you on Twitter. So we just can't say thanks enough to them uh, for the support this year, um, Brett. So order of business here: Gunner Halter leaving the program. I think I saw that. Yeah. What do we know? Yeah, he's uh, he's in the he's in the transfer portal. Um, yeah. So that uh, that that makes the the run for at bats and the run for um, for infield playing time in in two thousand in two thousand twenty kind of kind of interesting and I guess that's our uh, our segue into what the twenty twenty team is is going to be uh, because you've got to you've got to replace those at bats but the the flip side to that is and I think we had this conversation at one point when we were discussing. J, last discussing JT Ginn not hitting on this year's team, which was probably like late March, early April. It, it, it's weird to say this about a college baseball team, but they had too many hitters. Like mm. they truly had too many hitters. And that seems almost impossible when you've got a 35 man roster, but red shirting is still prominent in this sport. So you don't actually have 35 men. And then you still got to have enough pitchers to cover on average four games a week, every week for 16, 17, 18 weeks. And then of that small group of hitters you got left, not all of them are going to be good most of the time. So it's it's hard to believe that in this sport, with all of those roster environmentals going on, that you would have too many hitters. But that's what this team had. They had too many hitters. I mean, uh, Josh Hatcher went 321 but only got 106 at-bats. Marshall Gilbert only got his at-bat number above 130 he got to 134 because he started the final six weeks of the season Gunnar Halter only got 143 at bats and and people forget that he started a good chunk of the beginning of the season Brad Cumbus he didn't even hit 50 at bats this year he only had 49 Mm -hmm. Landon Jordan topped out at, at 61 and he hit 328 on the year Luke Hancock hit 326 on the year only 43 at bats they're just there wasn't enough playing time to go around for how many quality bats were in this group this year. So that uh, I, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is attrition was likely, mm. especially when you recruit at the level that Mississippi State does, and, and you've got highly talented guys coming in every single year. Uh, but this this loss of of Gunnar Halter, assuming he doesn't pull his name out of the transfer portal, which you can do, people people often forget that. I don't I don't see that happening in this particular case, but you can. Yeah. Um, it, it's not a, a devastating blow, especially because he plays in the infield where you have Jordan Westberg coming back at shortstop. You have Justin Foscue coming back. He played second and third this season, so there's there's one option, and this is probably just me. I refuse to give up on Tanner Allen playing somewhere other than first. Well, you know, I, I saw just, today they've got him uh, playing in the outfield on Team USA. It looks like they're having a scrimmage. Yeah. And they had him in, you know, one of the corner outfields for Team USA. Um, I that, think I think that's the most likely outcome because yeah. this – now this all depends on either Josh Hatcher becoming a good full-time hitter or Tucker Childers, uh, a freshman, a redshirt guy on last year's team, just becoming – Incredible. I, I think Tanner Allen best suits the 2020 team either in left field or right field. So uh, if you put him at left field, you could put Brad Cumbest in right field since you gotta gotta replace uh, Elijah McNamee. Oh, and if you put him in left field, this is assuming we're moving Rowdy Jordan from left field to center field to replace yeah. Jake Mangum. Yeah. Which, oh Lord, help you on that one, Rowdy. That, those are those are shoes I don't want to fill. <laughs> Um, no so if we're, if we're moving Tanner Allen somewhere, if you move into the outfield, I think the most likely scenario is you move into right field, move Rowdy Jordan from left field to center field, and then put someone at left field, or you put Tanner Allen in left field, move Rowdy from left to center, and then put Brad Cumbest or Josh Hatcher, who also played right this season in, in right field. Although I still think Hatcher at first is, is the best thing for this this bulldog squad and in 2020 so tanner allen's kind of a a swing piece for for this team he can do a bunch of different things and yes he can play first base but i still think the the defensive value in him is better somewhere else on the field and if you can get someone to have a competent bat at first base all year 
you know Tanner Allen's going to be a competent bat, and then you can actually use his defensive skill somewhere else on the field. So that's that's probably the most interesting yeah. thing to me in the field for this team is where Tanner Allen ends up and what the dominoes are that that fall from that. Yeah, and and you know I'm not a coach nor a scout, so my opinion on this kind of stuff doesn't matter. I'm just saying on the surface. You know, I know Cumbust is this incredible athlete, and they had him in the outfield. He's your, one of your backup outfielders. But for Pete's sake, he's massive. Okay, he's <laughs> he's six three and a half, six four, two hundred forty five pounds. Like he's a first baseman. I mean, that's just what he is. I, and I don't. Maybe he just hasn't had that experience of playing over there. But the thing about it is, look at the trend for or the curve for Cumbust. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brett. But he started out the year as your fourth outfielder, right? He's your backup. Fourth outfielder slash DH guy, yeah. Okay, he started the year there. But then at the end of the year, when you had an injury to your right fielder, he didn't he didn't really sniff right field. It was Hatcher. It was, it was mostly Hatcher or Halter, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. That's curious to me. And I just wonder if there's a position change maybe in there for him. Well, see, I, I think you make a good point about his frame, but there, there are two uh, not not issues, I guess, concerns that that I bring up about it. One, these rosters are very liberal with their positional listing. Okay. Uh, like Josh Hatcher, uh, well, actually, no, he's not listed as as a pitcher anymore. But like JT Gim was listed as a right-handed pitcher and an infielder all year long. That boy yeah. didn't play a lick of infield. All year long, we all know that. Cole Gordon's still listed as a DH on the (laughs) roster. That boy ain't hit in two years. Yeah, it's been a while. And he's been a DH on this roster all year long. They're very very liberal with their positional listings, and he's not listed as a first baseman. He's listed as an outfielder. So it, it makes me wonder if he has any experience at first, and if he does... You also wonder how his football factors into that, because if you were going to switch positions with a guy like that, that sounds like something you would want to do with as many reps as possible in the fall Mm. and as many reps as possible in January. And Brad Cumbus doesn't get baseball reps in the fall. He's busy playing football. Yeah. So I I wonder how that impacts his potential to have his frame fit at first base that, that, that interests me. Yeah. And so, um, Halter's moving on. He had some big hits, you know, tip of the cap to Gunner. He did. You think about the walk off in the sec tournament in that 17 inning game. He has, I'll love him forever for ending that game. <laughs> A lot of people feel that same way. So, uh, you know, love tip of the forever. cap to him. Um, you know, looking ahead to next year. So again, is your ACE, um, yeah. on next year's staff, you're, you're replacing, I don't even know where you really start. You talk about what you're replacing, and it's the same way at every big program. It's just the way it is. But when you when you go combo replacing big time arms, Ethan Small, first rounder, Cole Gordon, closer, all that stuff, you you know, leave out. You're, you're replacing big time arms, but I still don't know that that's more important than the fact that you have to replace everything Jake Mangum is or was for that team from a leadership perspective and and all that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not at all trying to, you know, be a, a party pooper for state fans. I'm not at all. Um, but I remember what it was like when Dak moved on from the football program. You remember that Brett, what that mm-hmm. was, what that was like. And it wasn't like there was this tremendous drop off or, or things were off the rails. It was just, that team struggled a little bit, not only to replace him on the field, but they 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 had a few years before you felt like you were back to normal off the field after that guy left your locker room because he was that strong of a leader. And you know that's one thing you're going to have to avoid with this baseball team next year. Yeah, I, I think that's one of those things where you you truly have to lean on. A combination of guys. You have to you have to lean yeah. on mm-hmm. Westberg and Allen and Foscu. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple more that could fit that mold. Uh, Riley Self, uh, Rowdy. You you have to right. rely on mm-hmm. all of them 
to to come together and and try to replicate the the leadership and locker room qualities that Jake Mangum gave you in one person. You kind of have to rely on all of those things. Yep. To to replace that. So I, I am curious to know who becomes the voice of of Mississippi State baseball. And I don't mean the voice of Mississippi State baseball and Jim Ellis. I mean the locker room voice of of this squad because that was absolutely Jake Mangum. I mean he was he was always the public ambassador for for the team when when the team was hitting a a a a skid, a a tough spot in the road, he was the one who said something profound and and attempted best he could to kind of change the narrative with the fan base as it was having to be talked off the cliff. He was always the one that, that did that. So you gotta, you gotta have a committee of guys re- replace that. Uh, I, the names I mentioned earlier, Rowdy, Foskey, Westberg, Riley, Tanner Allen. Uh, those are, those are probably the guys you're going to look to. Maybe even JT Ginn, um, who sure. spends a lot yeah. of time with some really important guys in, in this locker room. And he's going to be your, your Friday night ace. We'll get to the, the starting pitching situation momentarily um those are the guys you're gonna have to to look to and i'm i'm assuming it's going to be a, a by committee kind of approach there to to replace what jake mangum gave you in in one man but mm-hmm. a, a small part of me kind of hopes one person attempts to take that mantle just because i'm incredibly interested to see what it would look like and how it would play yeah like just to and i'm not making predictions just to throw out a hypothetical like what would it look like if Justin Foscue became the face of Mississippi State baseball in 2020, what would it look like if JT Ginn became the face and voice of Mississippi State baseball in, in 2020? All of that, it'd be really interesting to me. I, I Again, I think by committee is, is the approach they'll ultimately go with, but if one person did try to take that mantle, I'd be, I'd be fascinated to see how it goes. Uh, while, while we're in the field, the last – thing I want to touch on is catcher. Once again, they have a very interesting catcher race. Dustin yes. Skelton and Marshall Gilbert are gone, which leaves Hayden Jones and, and Luke Hancock as uh, as the two returners at that position. And they both do kind of different things and their freshman seasons proved it. Hayden Jones has a ridiculous arm, like a, like a pro, pro ball ready arm right now. It's, it's everything else with him that needs to develop. And he didn't play as much as Luke Hancock did. So Luke Hancock had a better bat. All the st- all the stats back up Hancock's bat over Hayden Jones's bat right now. Um, and and that that kind of gives you something to to look forward to. But uh, the development piece for for Hayden Jones that could be a really interesting competition if Hayden Jones develops a little bit more in the bat and a little bit more in the receiving and the defensive aspects. Of of his game because Luke Hancock got those reps yeah. or, or more of them to to look at the to look at the numbers. Hancock played twenty six. Actually, no, the the games are pretty even. How about that? I did not expect that. Hayden Jones got more at bats than Luke Hancock. Well, see, and that's the thing. I mean, but it was flip flop. Hayden Jones at bats were all early in the year. He had a he had a bunch of games. You remember Brett where yeah you know, he was the DH for three or four at bats. And and that was again the early part of the year, and then as it got later in the year, it was and at certain times it was Hancock. Well, and, let me let me rephrase my my uh, my my situation. Then Luke Hancock has more high leverage experience <laughs> than Hayden Jones does. The, the numbers have have proven me incorrect on that one, but he does have more high leverage. Um, yeah. experience than, than Hayden Jones does. So I'm curious how, how that battle shakes out. And then, and then there are going to be guys that, uh, that come in in the, in the 2019 class, uh, you would have gotten Ethan Hearn out of, uh, out of Mobile Christian, but it, uh, last I heard, he's going to sign with the, with the Cubs if he hasn't already. So you've got Austin Kelly coming in as a catcher, Logan Tanner coming in as a potential catcher, as well, those are the two guys in your in your 2019 class that could present another option at, at catcher. And then Tucker Childers is also a catcher. I think first base is more likely for him long term. Um, okay. But he's another catcher option if something happens with 
Hancock or Hayden Jones, uh, injuries or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so, th- so that race is going to be really interesting to me, catcher. Well, it's definitely going to be interesting. And look, Hayden Jones is um, he's a special talent in terms of his arm. Absolutely. You know, and I don't know if, um, <clears throat> you know, who knows? I mean, guys are freshmen. They're seeing that kind of pitching for the first time in their life. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that they could go through that would give them at-bats early in the year or him an at-bat or two early in the year and later in the year you didn't see him much. Who knows? I, we just don't know. But I can say this with 100% certainty that if he starts putting the bat on the ball consistently, and he's got natural power. Uh, we saw that early. They made a mistake with him early in the year, and he hit one over the uh, the seats in right field. Yeah. But if he's if he starts hitting, you know, especially the ability to see left handed pitching and put the bat on the ball, then his arm behind the plate is going to put him on the field because you can't keep that in the dugout. I mean, yep. I was not exaggerating when I said that it's a real treat to watch um, watch a team take infield before games just to watch him throw the baseball. <laughs> I mean, it's that special of an arm. And if if he if he develops defensively as a catcher, I think you, I think you said it well. He's he's going to be a guy where it's it's hard to keep him off the field just because the arm is that stupid good that he yeah. completely negates any and all running game for for opponents, which might not be uh, huge in in this era of college baseball, but but every base is a big one, especially against a Mississippi State pitching staff that that should be. Pretty good, and yeah. and that's my segue into the the pitching staff. And I think starting pitching is is uh, you know catcher is is an interesting spot. Tanner Allen is an interesting player, but I think starting pitching is the the position that most captures my attention because we know J T. Ginn is going to be the Friday night starter. But I think I think there's a difference between how and if. I think State is in more of a how than an if when it comes to their second and third starting pitching. And here's what I mean by that. When you look at the roster, you see guys with starter stuff. You see a guy like Riley Self. The best version of Riley Self, that stuff is good enough to play over six, seven innings against SEC bats. Yeah. Uh, and there are a few guys like that. Brandon Smith, maybe he can develop a little more and and become a guy that can handle a sixth and seventh inning against an SEC lineup. You could maybe say the same for Eric Sarantola if he finds it. And I've heard a lot of really good things about Christian McLeod, uh, who redshirted this year with with illness, but he's a, he's a lefty. And with JT Ginn being a righty, you would rather not have all three of your starters be right-handed pitchers, so you're probably looking for a lefty starter yeah. somewhere. And and I think Christian McLeod is is the number one candidate to be that. A freshman from Huntsville, again, he redshirted this year. We didn't see him due to illness, but everyone in and around the program really raves about Christian McLeod. So if he if he makes true on on that uh, talent level or that talent promise, um, mm-hmm. he he could be a guy that that starts somewhere in this rotation for Mississippi state. So you're looking for, for one more. And there, there are guys that have the stuff to handle six and seven innings against SEC bats and against college world series bats. Since that's clearly the standard set for this program. Now, after the last four years, it's just a matter of, of who does it. So it's not a matter of if they have the talent to do it, it's a matter of how they get there, whether it's Brandon Smith, whether it's Eric Sarantola, where it's, whether it's a freshman Someone has to step up and, and be the one that can handle six plus innings every week against an SEC lineup. Someone has to do it. They have the capability, but someone has to do it. And I'm I'm fascinated to to see who it's going to be. The current candidates for that on campus are most likely Brandon Smith and Riley Self. Those are the two favorites that that come to mind for me. But there are other candidates on campus, and then there are others in the recruiting class too. Yeah. For Riley, you know, it'd just be about stamina, right? You know, getting uh, to the point where, well, and I guess maybe not just stamina, but I think he needs the full arsenal more than he needs stamina. I think he's he can handle bulk. 
Yeah. Or at least he has been able to in, in the past. He hasn't done it for three years, but I imagine that's something that can be yeah. built up over uh over a summer and a fall to a, to a certain extent. Yeah. Right. And he really uh, started to look needs is to develop his, his additional pitches and have yes. that have supreme confidence in that second pitch and that third pitch and that fourth pitch yeah. that he had in that cutter in his freshman year. If he, if he has confidence in two additional pitches that he had in that cutter in his freshman year, that's the stuff to be a really, really good starter in this league. That's it. Yeah. And then yeah, that's it. And, and the work to, the starter work to where you're locating that all the time, which, you know, Foxhall has shown he can get that done. I, you know, my gut tells me we're probably going to look out there and see all those young guys. And it's going to be so different than it was this year. Next year, you're looking at potentially, and that's kind of what my gut tells me is three at the beginning of the year. Anyway, three second year players, again, Smith and Sarantola. Now, and I know it, you know, for either of those, but especially for Sarantola to be a weekend starter, you're talking about a great big jump from one year to the next. Yep. Yep. I, I get it, but his stuff is phenomenal. Uh, his, his potential is way up there. And I just have a sneaky suspicion. I just got a gut feeling that Fox Hall is the guy that once he kind of zeroes in on, on who's who's got the right stuff to be a weekend starter in the SEC, I think he's going to get them ready to go. Um, and that's not to say that somebody who's a first-year player like a McLeod or somebody can't mid-year take over one of those spots. We saw that happen this year with Plumley. Did it mid-year, took over one on the weekend. So, um, man, isn't it going to be just such a different experience week to week following this team next year than it was this year. Could could I interest you in Eric Sarantola as a lockdown late game guy? I'd love it because then you're talking about he's going in. He's throwing 96, 97 yeah. out of the pen, right? Because and 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 he'd do that because he's going in there with a 15 pitch mentality, right? Yep. I mean, he's going out there to throw gas as opposed to settle in for seven innings and throw 92. Uh, so I would love to see it. You know, I mean, kind of, kind of like a maybe even a higher leverage version of night night Colby White. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like Colby was throwing ninety four, ninety five, ninety six out of the pen, but he was always in that seventh, maybe eighth inning kind of role because you had Cole Gordon in the ninth and you had Jared Lee Belt as a yeah. potential setup piece too, depending on on the matchup. So he was never really that come in for the ninth inning, play the play the hard rock and roll warm up music, throw ninety six, ninety seven for 14 straight pitches, get three outs into ball game. You get the save night, night, Colby white. Wasn't really that guy, but with Cole Gordon now off to play professional baseball, that, that void is open for someone if they want to take it. And I, I can't think of mm. a better candidate than uh, a tall, lanky Canadian who throws 97. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, I'd love to see the Canadian flags waving. <laughs> In the in the left field lounges, I, I bet that there'd be a lot of fun had yeah. with uh, had with those. You know, and and it again go back to the conversations we had about him early in the year. I just think for him, it's all about just comfort on the mound and so much repetition, not just reps, but but perfect reps, where you know, in in whatever the leverage situation is when he goes on the mound. His mechanics are the same every time. It's cookie cutter. It never changes. And all he does is turn it loose and he hits his spots and goes back to the dugout. You know what I mean? His stuff is so good that if you can turn him into that, I hate to say the word robot because there's this negative connotation, but there's there's no, like, hit the mound. There's no lack of comfort. Um, You know, those feet. And hips and shoulders are in the same spot every time. Turn it loose. It's 95. Bang, I hit the inside corner. Strike three. Go to the dugout. You know, if he can dial that stuff in, and a lot of it is mental, then the stuff's through the roof. Because you compared him to Colby White, you know, most of the year, if not all. I mean, the whole time, Colby White's a one-pitch guy. Every now and then he changed it up. But he's a fastball guy. Just hit the fastball, and people couldn't do it. This is a guy with the same electric fastball, lots of movement at the same velocity, who can 
drop a curveball on you that is devastating when he locates it. So, yeah, I mean, for him, it's just about that extra year of maturity, that extra year of completely dialing in your mechanics on the mound so that there's no hitch, and and then just go out and, and do it. He could be good in any, in any role. Well, I think the way you put it about just having trust in, in his stuff yeah. and, and all of his – all of his mechanics checkpoints being the same way in every single pitch and every single rep and kind of regulating his, his motion to have command and control over his stuff was, was a good way to put it because that's kind of what happened to Cole Gordon. Uh, he was, he was an emergency pitcher in 2017. And this is part of a story that unfortunately never saw the light of day because the the season ended too early for it too. Uh, so I can, I can actually use some of that reporting now. I talked to several guys around the program, Dustin Skelton and Jared Liebelt and Cole Gordon himself about what made Cole Gordon go from the emergency pitcher in 2017 when Tommy John did a number on that team and they needed Brant Blaylock and Cole Gordon to take big innings just to survive that season to a lockdown closer for two years at the tail end of his career. And here's, so Jared Liebelt told me that Coach Foxhall gave Jared and and Cole, a weighted ball program and some other things that were kind of similar to what driveline does. And that's a pretty common, um, pretty common pitching and baseball development program uh, in in today's baseball lexicon. And here's here's what Jared Lee Belt said about that motion and kind of hammering down the mechanics and building it up base by base from from the feet to the knees all the way up and what that does for for Cole Gordon. Here's a quote from Jerry Liebelt. It's a big deal with the situations he's pitching in, a lot of tense, high-pressure situations. When the mechanics are natural and the throwing is second nature, that's one less thing he has to think about when he's out there in those situations. He can focus on making the pitch, the hitter he's facing, and how he's supposed to attack him. Those are That's kind of the Eric Sarantola strategy to a T, right? If mm-hmm. if he becomes that guy who becomes comfortable in how he throws 96, 97 and how he can command that and how he can play his his breaking stuff off of it, yes, he becomes a guy that could be a starting pitcher, but if if Christian McLeod is what we think he could be and there's a additional starter in there, maybe a Riley Self or a freshman, Eric Sarantola becomes a guy who can be just lights out in the bullpen because he's commanding 96, 97 and he can spin off speed stuff at you because of all the things that made Cole Gordon a very good end of game option for state for two years in a row. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It it really is. And it's all about off season stuff. And what, uh, help me out here. Sarantola, is he going through the, he's on team Canada. He's on team Canada. Yeah. So okay. you, you've seen stuff about, uh, about Tanner Allen, Justin Foskey, and Jordan Westberg being on on Team USA. Eric Sol- Eric Sarantola is on Team Canada in the same uh, international baseball circuit. Okay. Uh, I don't I don't know exactly what events they're they're playing in. I don't have their their schedules in front of me, but it would be kind of fun for uh <laughs> for that group to to play against one another for their for their respective countries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's going to be doing the the Team Canada thing. But to the best of my knowledge, those are the only four playing international baseball this summer there are some guys doing the usual uh summer rounds like i know rowdy jordan is going up to the cape he's playing for the harbor hawks um and and mississippi state will release their full list of summer baseball guys uh we're recording this thursday night the 27th i'm sure that'll come out in the next week or so give or take where every guy's playing i'm sure a couple guys are going to amsterdam in the perfect game league in uh new york there's a pretty strong pipeline of of guys to go to the Amsterdam Mohawks up in upstate New York. Um, but that whole list will come out to the best of my knowledge. Those are the only four doing the, uh, okay. doing the, the international, uh, deal for, for summer ball. Okay, cool. All right. So Brett, we're almost 50 minutes in. You want to just, what kind of do a little <laughs> salute? Quick, yeah, no, by fast. You want to do a little salute uh, and, and I can do the same and then we'll toss it to your interviews. Yeah, let's let's do that. Um, so for the off season coming up, uh, those of you that also listen to our women's basketball podcast, praise the Lord and talk dogs. No, we will podcast, and in the off season there will be dog pile in between now 
in opening day of 2020. When exactly is is a total toss up. It, it it comes in kind of random increments whenever something happens or whenever we have time. We'll uh we'll we'll give you updates on on what's going on. And luckily we have fall ball. Um, right. Uh, the the women's basketball team doesn't really have, although they're they're going off to Italy to play to play right now. So there's a little something, but there is some off season things that go on in in college baseball. So we'll we'll give you episodes of Dogpile when when events merit it or when we have access to something and we'll uh we'll we'll update you in between now and the first pitch of, of 2020 I, I promise you but I, I do appreciate everyone that's uh everyone that's listened I ran into a lot of fans in, in Omaha who stopped me and said they said they enjoyed dogpile and and what we were doing so I, I appreciate everyone that that stopped me and and said something in Omaha or, or elsewhere even just around duty noble field appreciate appreciate everyone that that did that it means a lot in our uh our first season of of podcasting baseball and we'll be around every now and then and in the off season on on the baseball front you won't get too detached from from the diamond dogs in between now and the start of the 2020 season uh yeah and i would just say you know a tip of the cap again everyone listening uh y'all let our sponsors know mississippi land bank Jubilations Cheesecake, uh, great folks at High Point Roasters in New Albany. Get your coffee there, by the way. Brad, I got a bunch of coffee from them to give to you. Um, nice. Yep, yep. And also, Sweet. Uh, since it for everyone listening, you have stayed to the end of the podcast. There was no tease, but because you stayed to the end, I'm giving you a heads up. Uh, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt. You see a lot of Brett's content there, a lot of mine. Uh, in the next couple of days, we're going to do a coffee giveaway there on the Facebook page from High Point Roasters. Go like it and kind of keep your eyes peeled for it. See if anybody left and and didn't listen this long, they won't they won't have the tease. They don't know. So I'm giving you a heads True. up. Yeah. All yeah. right. So thanks everybody for listening. And Brett, you can toss it on out to our interviews. All right. So we've we've got two interviews. We'll start with the one I did with Brad Cumbus in the locker room in Omaha about how he's kind of balanced. Being a dual sport athlete in, in year one, it's funny. People I've talked to who uh, who knew Brad growing up, including his his dad, uh, said he's got so much energy that he just needs to have two sports in, in his life. He's just got so much energy he can handle that kind of deal. Uh, so I talked to, to Brad Cumbest about how he managed being a, a two-sport athlete. Here's that interview. So how have you kind of adjusted to being a, a two-sport athlete? Because it's already hard enough to adjust from high school football to college football or from high school baseball to college baseball. How have you managed to do both at the same time? You just gotta you gotta find a routine. You gotta come to a mutual agreement. You know, you gotta make sure one's good with this and another one's good with that. Mm-hmm. Everything's gotta fall in line, keep your body safe and stay healthy. You know, I mean, it's just all a routine. Yeah. So what's been the most difficult task? Is it learning Warhead's playbook, hitting a SEC breaking ball? What's What's been the most difficult task? Probably early on spring training and, yeah. and baseball games. Okay. Like balancing the balancing spring practice and football. That's, that's and the hardest thing so far and that, I, that, that I have. That's my, that's my life. And, and I, I heard about the uh, the meeting that Coach Lamonis and Coach Moorhead had to kind of divvy up your days in the spring. Yes, when, did, when was that, and what was it like just watching them divide up your days? It was – Right before uh, the end of February, right before we started spring training. Okay. And uh, we kind of went in there because my legs, just, my legs is killing me. I was still working out with football. My legs were hurting so bad. And uh, I, I went and talked to Chris Moorhead about it. And he said, me and him sat down. He, he, he told me to come back. Two days, he built me a schedule, and we went over it, looked at it. Me, coach, me, coach, Moore, coach Morris, we all looked at it, and we, we finally agreed on that, on that, on that plan. You know, yeah, and that, and that helped me a lot. Final routine. So, did you have input on that, on that schedule, or was that just them giving up? He, he did the best thing he possibly could for me. Yeah, it made me better to help both teams. Okay. So, how do you kind of manage your time between being playing both sports and being a, a student? How do you kind of manage your time? 
Do you have a formula for it? I don't do nothing baseball-wise during football season. Okay. I do a little fo- – I do some spring training next year during baseball season. A couple practices here and there, but that, that'll be it, man. And after baseball season's over, I guess the football workout. Yeah, that, that was another thing I was curious about, like how much you think about baseball during the fall and how much you think about football when you're here. I just got to worry with it. Just worry on what's going on out there right now and everything can care of itself, you know. Yeah. Right. And I, I did want to ask you about your, your season, 286 and 49 at-bats. What have you learned in those 49 at-bats? Uh, man, I knew it was going to be rough and it, it, like going out of high school days and seeing it. And it is, man. It's real. You got some heard some real high draft pick guys. You know, and it, it's hard. It's hard. It's a it's a good adjustment as a freshman, but I got to make a bigger adjustment for next year. Yeah, there, there's going to be some playing time available in, in the outfield next year. What what adjustment do you need to make to put yourself in that conversation? I just got to just I just got to keep working hard, man. It, it all it all unravels itself. That's all I got to say about it. it. It's the high highlight of your year, that Auburn games, going three hits in that 20-15 to 15 game, is that the highlight for you? Yes, sir, that's one of the highlights. What do you remember from that game? I remember I had a, two singles and a triple down the line with two, two or three RBIs. Yeah. And I think everybody's waiting for you to really put a charge into one and see just how, how far you can hit a ball at, at this level. Are you waiting on that, too? Yeah, I sure am waiting on <laughs> We're all on the same page. What, what, what do you think the ceiling is? Like, how far do you think you can go? I couldn't really tell you. So that was, that was cool. That was fun. It's, it's interesting. When I, when I heard the story of Joe Moorhead and Chris Lamona sitting down with Brad Cumbus also sitting there playing playing kind of halfway invested, halfway not audience, because it's not like he can impact that, right? When these two coaches are dividing up his spring, right. that's kind of a interesting position to be in. I, I was curious about how, how someone watches that kind of deal, knowing these two people that lord over you in different times of, of the calendar year, kind of dividing up your time. That was a interesting concept to me glad he uh glad he gave us a few minutes of his time there and then tanner allen those of you that uh that are more active on the twitter and and facebook and everything else you probably saw the picture of tanner allen wearing sunglasses and uh, a side by side of it next to chipper jones back in his braves playing days and it's truly it's truly creepy to see (laughs) how much they look like one another and then you watch the two swing and I mean, how could you not model your swing after Chipper Jones right. uh, being someone like like Tanner Allen? So the uh, the two are are very they're very similar in in many ways. So I, I had to bring that that topic up with with Tanner Allen. And here's the conversation that followed. To be a big Twitter guy, right? I don't I don't see you tweet. I just now day. got on it. Okay, okay. Yeah, was that, I what? stayed away from it for a while, but I was like, man, Chipper Jones tweeted me. I got it. Okay, gotta, see, that's what I was I was getting at. But so, how aware were you? Are you of all of that? Like before you got on Twitter and saw it yourself? Well, I'll be honest with you. I woke up the day of my dad called. I was like, dude, Chipper just tweeted about you. I'm like, man, I don't have Twitter on my phone. I think. I created one when I was younger and just never used it and I never had it. I didn't know how it worked. Right. <laughs> so then I, uh, I downloaded the app and looked like, oh my God, Chipper Jones tweeted me. That's pretty, that's my childhood hero, man. Yeah. And, uh, so it was unbelievable. So then I, I tweeted him back. I had to ask Mule, I'm like, dude, how do I, how do I tweet him back? <laughs> so I tweeted him back and he retweeted me and all that kind of stuff. So it was neat. So now I guess I'm on Twitter. On Twitter. Okay. Yeah, because I, I assumed you were a big Chipper guy yeah. being from South Alabama, right? The Braves are kind of exactly. Right. Yes, I grew up in Gulf Shores. We can oh, probably yeah. go about that forever, yeah. but I, I won't. You know, I won't bore them this time. Uh, so, what are your most prominent memories of, of Chipper? Man, I can remember coming home when I was in elementary school after football practice. Come home, mom be cooking, it, and every night I'd turn on the Braves game on either Fox Sports South or whatever. Yeah. And watch Chipper Jones. I, I'd be doing homework. I'd quit and little homework. Hey, mom, Chipper's up. Go in there and watch. And I can remember some memories, man. Just watching that guy play, and then he starts running a bow hunting TV show. I'm like, this this gets even better, man. I'm probably the biggest bow hunter in my, my town. But, uh, that's why I mean, that's that's why I like him so much. I do. He's a great player. You know, he's a real humble guy. 
and uh, he, off the field, he's a big hunter and fisher, just like me. Yeah. That, so how much of your swing is modeled after Chipper, intentionally? Man, intentionally, anyway. none of it, but it's, it's funny. It just comes But, I mean, you realize they look yeah, very yeah, similar, right? Pictures. Yeah, I guess it's a low finish, but I've always been taught to finish low because my barrel will stay through the zone longer. I guess whoever told me how to hit, must, he must, or Chipper must have taught him. So. Right. It's the follow-through to me. It's that, it's that one-handed swing follow-through. Yes, sir. Everybody says it's the, it's the follow-through and the low finish, but, I mean, man, if somebody compared my swing to Chipper Jones, I'm truly humbled and uh, honored because uh, that's one of the best swings in baseball I've ever seen. And if you hit like Chipper, then then you ought to, you ought to be playing this game for quite a while. I might need to turn around right-handed and try that. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw no reason why those two things had to – had to go to waste, even though the, the season ended too early for them to to see the time of life, so, time of day. So hopefully y'all y'all enjoyed those. Brett, great job as always. Tip of the cap to you. Um, great coverage throughout the year, and uh, to y'all listening, thanks. And like he's like Brett said, keep it uh, on your feed. Stay subscribed because we got new stuff coming your way uh, throughout the year. Thanks for listening to Dogpile, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>